Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. It is week 10. It is week 10 of the fall 2007 trimester. I, I need you to congratulate the folks who are close to you on making it this far. There, um, there is that small matter of final exams next week, but what, uh, what's there to worry about, right? Uh, it's our privilege to have Dr. Tim Stearman uh, here today and tomorrow morning to minister the word to us. He is a longtime friend of Nazarene Bible College. He serves as the pastor of Denver First Church of the Nazarene in Denver, Colorado, and has agreed to uh, share the word with us. So would you welcome him? And, and then I just, uh, we have another guest uh, that I just met a few minutes ago, if it's okay that I embarrass you, Dawn. Uh, Dawn Root is from Grand Blank, Michigan. She will be a new student in the winter term. So I just want you to welcome her. We, when, we, when we gather here, we are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I have been watching and I have been pleased with the progress that I see in the lives of the folks that I have come to know over this term. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I want us to begin our worship this evening with a reading. Uh, would you stand and then we'll sing after we read this responsibly. In holy splendor we worship the Lord. In torrents and storms God's peace pervades. The whisper of the Lord snaps silence. As flames being fanned, the presence grows. Enthroned, God rules the universe. In whirling winds, nature acknowledges glory. Oh, Father, that you have been accepting our praise, and we're grateful for that. And we also know that you've been working in our lives in a variety of ways, and we want to tell you thanks. But most of all, we want to hear from you. We want to know your will for our lives, and we want to say yes. So whatever it is that you have for us, we say yes. Whatever it is that you want from us, it's yours. Whatever it is that you want us to do, we're willing, by your grace, to worship you. Amen. You may be seated. Before Dr. Stearman comes to share with us tonight, 
I, I do want to introduce some very special guests that came along with him, uh, Reverend and Mrs. Sam Stearman. They are with us tonight. They are longtime servants of our Lord in the Church of the Nazarene. I guess you would say that they are the founders of the Nairobis that have since been renamed. But would you stand so we can welcome you tonight? Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, as Dr. Stearman comes to share tonight, I just wanted to say that in June of this year, Denver First Church of the Nazarene, the church that he pastors, gave to Nazarene Bible College the largest gift for scholarships ever given in our 40-year history. A gift of $100,000 that uh, we have put in an endowment to, uh, to use for scholarships. And uh, Dr. Stearman, know from our students, our faculty, staff and administrators tonight how deeply grateful we are for your generosity and your heart for Nazarene Bible College. He serves on our board of trustees. Would you welcome him? Thank you, Dr. Graves. We were able to do that because as a congregation we received, I think, the largest one-time gift ever given to a to a Nazarene church, which was $6 million, and uh, that was an exciting thing, and we felt like from the beginning that we wanted to share that, and we felt uh, that we had to tithe on that, and so we've had a lot of fun giving money away, and it was so exciting to be in those services when we did that, because I would let the congregation know ahead of time what was going to happen, and they would spend that entire service sitting watching whoever our guest was and waiting. They didn't care what we preached or anything. They wanted to get to the end when we gave that money away and they wanted to watch that and that was an exciting thing. And it was one of those one of those uh, times when you realize that as a as a giver you receive far more than those who receive the gift. You you got more out of it than they did and it was uh, wonderful. And it's good to be with you tonight uh, here in this uh, Auditorium. I've I've spoken here before Strickland was built. Uh, uh, that's been a while ago, but uh, uh, spoken here in the past. Now, if I remember correctly, you've got to be out of here by when? Seven fifty, eight fifteen. Is that really true? You know, it doesn't mean anything when you take this off and lay it down on the pulpit. It doesn't mean a thing. So, might as well keep it on. <laughs> won't matter. I hate to lose. I just hate it. Uh, that has been driven home to me in recent days as the Rockies went 0-4 in the World Series and the next night I went to the football game and the Packers beat them in uh, one play in overtime and uh, beat the Broncos and it was just, I, I just hate to lose. And, and I hate not being chosen. Uh, I, I hate even more being the last one chosen. And I've always been big, and I can't run worth anything, and I, and I can't outrun anyone. And so in gym class, it wasn't hard for me to be near the end because I hadn't gained my full height, my full stature yet. 
and so it was shorter and lots rounder. And uh, I don't have a lot of coordination, and uh, though I love sports, I've never had the skill or any natural ability to play. Uh, I, I, you know, I go out on the course and play golf a little once in a while, but it's just become such torture that I've about given that up. And it's just not fun anymore. And, even with a cart, you know, because I always go on the day when they say, well, you can't take the cart off the path. Well, what good is a cart if I can't take it off the path, you know? And you're walking down and up the hills, and I thought, it's just, it's just not worth it. But I grew up understanding what it meant not to be chosen. And the truth is that all of us sitting in this room tonight long to be accepted. There isn't a person here who doesn't love the right kind of attention or to be wanted or selected or elected or singled out for some kind of honor. It may embarrass us when they do it, but deep down inside it's very reassuring. I mean, we like it. In the book of Acts, we come across a, a very important decision being made by the early church that has ramifications that I think touch all of us. And it's found in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, we're in the upper room and Peter stands up to speak. And in verse 15, we begin reading, and I'm reading from the New International Version. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. I really don't need that much information when I'm reading this passage, you know. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they call that field, Field of Blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now here's what Peter has just said. He said we need a replacement. There's supposed to be 12 of us. We only have 11. The number 12 is very significant. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 apostles representing the 12 tribes in the new Israel, which was the church. He says we need a replacement. And then he goes on and he talks a bit about the qualifications that that replacement needs to meet. And Peter was not timid. He was not some kind of a retiring personality who just stood back, kind of a wallflower, who didn't care if people knew of his opinion. He was not afraid to let people know what he was thinking or what he was feeling. And so he tells them about the person that they must select to take the place of Judas and that that person had to meet some qualifications. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but there were qualifications for this person to meet. And, and you look back in verses 21 and 22 and you see them. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. 
beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The person we're choosing, he said, is a person who is going to be preaching the resurrection. So it is someone who needs to have been there with us and to have understood what was going on. Now, from the scripture we see that there were two men in the crowd that met the qualifications. One was named Matthias and the other Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Let's just call him Justice. That's easier for me to say than the other. So we'll just call him Justice. Uh, there have been people across the centuries who have speculated about why Paul wasn't chosen to be the twelfth apostle. Well, in the first place, he wasn't a convert yet. I mean, that doesn't happen until we get to chapter 9. And even if he had been a convert, he did not meet the other qualifications. He was not there when those things were happening that Peter said this person had to have witnessed. And then we see that Paul's ministry was largely to the Gentiles. But they found two men who were qualified. A nominating committee had been established. Any of you in here plan to be pastors? Can I see your hands? You plan to pastor church? Let me tell you something about the nominating committee in the Church of the Nazarene. It, the most important committee in the church. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who's elected to the board, it's who's on the nominating committee. And so there was a nominating committee, and they found two guys, and they were nominated, and the ballot was ready, printed on the old mimeograph machine. They had the ballot ready to go. And I like the way it's paraphrased in the Living Bible. It says, the assembly nominated two men, Joseph Justice, also called Barsabbas, and Matthias. Then they all prayed for the right man to be chosen. O Lord, they said, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas the traitor who has gone on to his proper place. Matthias and Justice were contacted. They got the little letter in the mail, all the qualifications for the position, and they were to pray over it for a while and then send a card back in the mail that would let the other apostles know that they were willing to let their name appear on the ballot. And they did, knowing that one of them would not be selected. Can you imagine? One of you will not be selected. What a gamble it is to the ego to let your name appear on a ballot with the full knowledge that you might not be chosen or you may be that first alternate, which means you just didn't quite make it, but if someone else dies, you'll move up into their spot, you know? And we've all been there in one way or another. For some of you, it was with a job interview. Or maybe a place in ministry where you wanted to serve. For some of you, it was with a relationship with a person that you thought might one day be your spouse. Some of you wanted to be on a particular team, or you sought a promotion, or you ran for office. And it didn't matter. 
I look on in this passage and I see the selection. In verse 24 it says, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They prayed. And they believed that God would help them select the right man. What was it that made Matthias any more qualified than justice? I don't know. Uh, I guess only God knows, and God apparently did know. But they prayed, and Matthias was chosen. Now, I would guess that justice, being as human as you and I, felt a little bit of a sting. I thought these guys were my friends. I thought I was closer to some of these. I mean, do you ever see Survivor when they get voted off the island? I mean, that's painful. And here was Justice. He's voted off the island. You see, they drew straws or they cast lots. That's what they really did. It wasn't a ballot where everyone could vote and, and where he lost the recognition contest because he wasn't as popular as Matthias. They believed then in that process that God made the selection. But I wonder if Justice felt that God had said, you're not the guy. Would that not sting even more? But they prayed. So this wasn't just some gamble. They sought God. They were saying in their own way, however these lots are cast, God, you have the final say. They were believing that when they prayed, God listened and answered prayer. One of the things I learned from old Robert Schuller years ago reading one of his books was the fact that God answers every prayer. Sometimes He answers no. Sometimes He answers slow. Sometimes He answers grow. And sometimes He answers go. But He answers every prayer. And so justice had to take a step back. Now imagine you're Matthias. Imagine you're in his shoes. You didn't ask for this. You didn't campaign for this position. It wasn't your game plan. You're just this ordinary Christian kind of plugging along, content to take a back pew and just be one of the crowd. You're happy with that kind of a position. And, and then the lot falls on you. Someone suggests you for the office of apostle. Sort of like getting a, a piece of mail from Publishers Clearinghouse that says, you may have already won an apostleship. It may already be yours. And before Matthias could say a word, they all bowed their heads in prayer and rolled these lots, whatever that was like, and zap. You're it. What would you have done? Well... I like to think about Matthias, but my heart goes out to justice today. Suppose you were him. Suppose you really would like to have been in that role of apostle, and they, they built you up to think that you might get it, but the lots were cast. They tabulated the votes, they counted the noses, and you came in second in a two-man race. Matthias gets it, and everyone crowds around him, and... They shook his hand and they congratulated him and they made over him, but here you are, you're justice. You're over there in your lonely corner. You've been waiting 
or that call, that district superintendent, that pastor, that person that you thought might be inviting you to some position, or you even went for an interview and came back thinking, this is good, I feel real good about it, and then the phone never rings. And you begin to feel very lonely in that corner. Well, he, he could have decided to pick up his marbles and just go home feeling rejected, or he could pick up his injured pride and see that the work of God is bigger than he is and get on with it anyway. And I like to believe that he saw that God, who loves the church, has a place for everyone, title or not, and a task of being his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that task requires the diligence of every believer and the commitment of every Christian. And then I think maybe God did justice a favor. Tradition tells us that the twelve who were known as apostles experienced the following. Matthew was slain by the sword in Ethiopia. John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from the temple. Judas Thaddeus was beaten and stoned to death. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Andrew was tied to a cross from which he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a lance. And Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Could it be that justice was the one who was blessed? Do you know that God knows what's best? And whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your challenges are, God knows what's best. And I can either believe that, or I can think that God has put me in a corner and decided to choose me last. But if I assume that God knows me and He knows what's best for me, then I can stand with assurance that wherever He places me, whatever He asks me to do, whether it is the end that Matthias dealt with or if it's whatever happened to justice, I can lean on that. I can trust in Him. I can believe in Him because He knows what's best for you and your ministry and your family and your relationships and the church wherever you're serving right now to whatever extent. had a gentleman in my church uh, some time ago and he was a guy who had worked for Promise Keepers for a while and started attending Nazarene Church at our church. Had no background in the church, didn't know who we were or what we were, but he started coming. And we developed a great relationship. And uh, the day came when he left our church and went to another district to plant a Nazarene church. And I was talking with him one day, and he said, you know, the, the interesting thing was, he was an African American. And he said, I was on the plane flying back to talk about this church, and I... I sit down next to this guy, and his name was Jerry. And he said, as we started visiting, 
His name was Jerry Porter. He was a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. I said, Terry, that is so coincidental. He said, no. He said, God is not surprised. And that's, I guess, what I want to leave you with tonight. Wherever God places you, and whatever He asks you to do, and whatever you come up against, and whatever your challenges may be, God is not surprised. Which means you don't have to worry about talking to Him about what you're dealing with. Because it's not a surprise. It's not a shock to Him. He's aware of where He's placed you or where He's going to place you and what He's going to ask you to do. So, maybe the DS didn't call you back. Rejoice. It was only an opportunity. It wasn't a real church. It was just an opportunity. Father, thank you for your blessing and for the opportunity to be here tonight and to be able to, to share my heart with these students. I pray your blessing upon them as they go back to class or to their homes, wherever it may be. And Father, if there's even one here tonight who feels discouraged about some particular aspect of their life, I pray that you would infuse them with new courage, that they would be encouraged and realize that you have great plans for them. You have wonderful things for them to accomplish, though in our own eyes it may seem small, yet in your sight everything we do for you is so incredibly large. And I pray your blessing and your favor upon each one tonight, that you would anoint them, that they would know the, the thrill of speaking or teaching or working or leading music, whatever it may be, under the anointing of your Holy Spirit, knowing that what they do was not in their own strength, but it was because they were empowered by you. Father, may they go from this campus one day with a great smile of satisfaction knowing that they completed the task and that you have an incredible opportunity for them. In Jesus' name, amen.